It's time for episode 72 of the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's go. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos. This podcast is wholly dedicated to highlighting the journeys of phenomenal businesswomen from all over the world. Before we get into today's program, I just kind of wanted to share a story with you. So I've mentioned on here before that I have a mentor and I've had her for about three months now. And during our meeting yesterday, I was telling her how you know, I've just been having moments of burnout lately, just where I'm feeling really tired and overwhelmed. <laughs> and it's just really, it's been very exhausting. And she looks me straight in the eye and says, Katie, you are not burnt out. You're just not being disciplined about how you approach your day. And therefore, you're not getting the most important things done. And therefore, chaos is happening all around you. And I, you know, I'm a very self-aware person, but I was like, oh, okay, this is why she's my mentor, because, you know, she needs to kick my butt a little bit. <laughs> so um, I really took a second just to breathe that in and totally accept the fact that that was the truth and uh, have spent today being very, very focused on how I'm managing my day and how I'm structuring my day and putting the very, I call it the SIS, the super important, you know, bleep, if you will. And those are the things that I need to get done that day. So I just wanted to share that with you because I thought it was a great lesson that every single one of us can really take and use to like structure our day and not feel overwhelmed and really take ownership of our days. All right, so let's get into the show. Today's guest is Melanie Benson Strick, who's a founder of Success Connections. The whole goal of her company is to help entrepreneurs optimize their time and their resources. And she does this through coaching and not only through coaching, but she does this through leveraging programs that she's created to be able to help her coaching be accessible to everyone. Melanie was a total joy to talk to and she really goes in deep about the process that she went through going from corporate to entrepreneur and what she's done to build her coaching business throughout these 14 years, all the ups, all the downs, and my goodness have there been a lot of both. And she really is phenomenal at taking what she learns along her business journey productizes that and then uses that and gives it to her clients in a way that helps leverage the scalability of her business. So she really goes into a lot of detail. If you have any interest in being a coach or are a coach or do any sort of service-based business, you definitely want to pay attention to this entire interview because she really goes into it. Make sure to stay tuned for my comments afterwards where I really go into some of the biggest takeaways that for me were just mind-blowing. So let's get things rolling. so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I'm loving this idea of kind of sharing all the ups and downs of creating a successful business. Oh, I love it. I love the realities of what truly happens behind what we see as a success. And I'm really excited to be able to share your story with everyone. Like I usually do, I always love starting from the beginning about your business experience. And I know that you spent quite a bit of years in corporate working for Motorola. So mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about what your experience was like working for Motorola as a corporate gal? What were you doing and what did you learn there? Well, and just for some context, I actually was in four different corporations as I was kind of figuring out where I wanted to be and going through college and everything. So I had had an interesting experience with corporate, and I found a company that was completely by mistake. I landed in that company. This is really funny when I put all these pieces together. I was actually trying to work for this woman who sold goal-setting programs. And she was having a hard time making ends meet, and I was having a hard time learning how to sell. So I took this temp job at Motorola because I was desperate for cash flow when I graduated. And the trajectory of that career became me trying to figure out how to fit 
for 10 years inside corporate America. And I was like an entrepreneur bouncing all over the place inside the company. I started in event planning and I ran big corporate events for Motorola's customers. It these the different associations and customers that would have events for their associations. I would spearhead our presence there. And then I jumped to project management. And then I jumped to quality assurance and helping to mentor and teach all of our project teams how to be more optimized, if you will, in the way we supported our customers. So I literally kind of leapt around on all these funny little projects my whole crew there. And one of the things that I realized very quickly was that I didn't fit, but didn't really know how to translate my skills and my strengths to anything that fit inside that company. I was in love with and I was fascinated by the goal setting. I loved what I was learning there. And I never quite found that same thing. The problem was, and maybe you've seen a lot of people struggle with this, I, I didn't feel comfortable selling. I didn't feel comfortable with anything that had to do with trying to get someone else to buy or make a decision to take action on something at that time. So I kept having this limiting belief of, well, if I can't sell, I don't know where I fit. And so that's kind of what put me through this little dance of going through all the different types of careers and jobs and funny little six-week projects that they would put me on just because I was really good at getting projects done on time and on budget. So you were kind of bouncing around it and being like this utility player, basically, but you did right. it for 10 years. So you must have yeah. actually really enjoyed either the challenges or the culture or the people. So what was it that kind of kept you there for that long? I don't know that it was that I enjoyed it as much as that I didn't really know I had any other options. And, and it wasn't that they're a bad company because they're a great company to work for. But like a lot of people, you kind of get sucked into the security, you get sucked into this is kind of the way your life is. And it wasn't until I think I'd been there about six or seven years when I started doing personal development training. And I was really just trying to find out what was going to make me happy and fulfilled that all of a sudden I tapped into this thing that I had a purpose and that part of my purpose was to make a greater impact on this planet. And then I started to explore what, how does that translate to something meaningful, what career path does this, you know, it's like, imagine you've never even really heard of being an entrepreneur or a business owner. It's like, I literally didn't exist in my consciousness. I thought everybody had a corporate job. I thought everybody worked in that way. And so it wasn't until I went into this discovery that I realized, huh, okay, there's people that are consultants. There's people who they teach, they do trainings. There's people that do this. There's people that do that. And and it sent me into this discovery process of trying to figure out where would it fit. And I stumbled into coaching because Stephen Covey's company had done some consulting and some training for our managers. And I was so blown away by the change in these managers and how they stopped telling me what to do and started asking me very provocative questions that made me feel more inspired. And I went, huh okay, what are you doing and how did you learn this and what happened? Like started asking a lot of questions about what was going on and I realized there was this process called coaching and that's when I decided I wanted to learn how to coach because up to that point, I was really good at project management. I was really good at getting other people to get things done. I was really good at taking some weird, intangible, basically like a project that has no real clear definition. Like I want to get to this goal. They would have me come and figure out how to get something done that seemed impossible or uncontrollable. I was brought in to do all these weird goals that just didn't fit inside some other title or definition or role. And I finally figured out that coaches do that same thing. They help people achieve crazy big, sometimes ambiguous, not know how to do the goal goals. And that was when it clicked and I realized, oh, okay, that's, this is what I do. I am a leader who uses coaching skills and, and influence to get other people to take crazy big action to get things done. I think that's pretty amazing because I think that there are a lot of us who come I'll, you know, I'll choose this specifically that come to the entrepreneurial game, I guess a little late. I know that's very relative, but like, you know, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was until I was like 22, 23, something like that. So I kind of had a very similar background that you go and you go get a job and that's kind of what everyone does. And it, 
I love that you're talking about this idea of really going through a lot of self-discovery and figuring that out and putting a language to it really is what it is. How did you then put all that stuff into action? Like you are realizing, hey, I like this coaching thing. Here's what I'm really good at. Here are my skill sets. And how did you put them together and actually put it into action? Well, I think the first thing was I needed a game plan. And so I really, you know, took the same technique of goal setting and project planning that I'd learned in those 10 years to my own process. And that was I set a goal. And the goal was first, I just wanted to learn how to be a good coach. And so I did all the research, figured out what coach training programs were out there. And I got the company to invest in me as a leader there to learn these coaching skills. And once I got immersed in it, I was like, oh. I I think I want to do this on my own. And so I didn't have this big grand plan of leaving. I just wanted to love what I did more. And by pursuing that call to love what I do more, I discovered that I could actually have even more of the things that I treasured. Because at the time, I was oftentimes working somewhere between 280 to 300 days a year. Um, Or I'm sorry, I was not working. I meant on the road. (laughs) You know, we don't work that much, but I was on the road that much. And I was working oftentimes six days a week, sometimes seven. I was working 12, 14-hour days. That was very common. And I was really burned out. And my body was hitting these walls of exhaustion. I didn't know it at the time, but I was starting to show signs of chronic fatigue. And I, I just was at my wall. As a matter of fact, my alma mater, University of Phoenix, did a whole article for our graduate magazine about how I overcame my chronic fatigue by finding a, a career path that I loved. Because I knew I couldn't sustain the pace they expected of me in order to stay in the roles that I was at. So by learning how to be a coach, it sparked this, huh, well, look at all these people who are doing coaching for a living. And they are either paid by uh, their clients or by a company to coach. And I thought, well, that's what I think I want to do. And so then I hired a coach to help me sort out what I was going to do. And So I am a firm believer in getting your knowledge of how filled through education and mentorship. Mm. It made such a huge difference for me. It it shortened my path dramatically. And then once I knew that, then I started surrounding myself with people who were self-employed and business owners because I had been surrounded by people who were corporate players for 15 years. I didn't know people that operated in that paradigm called entrepreneurship and I believe that if you want to achieve something you have to surround yourself with people who are achieving that and that helps you start to think like that and make better decisions and be more in alignment with the day-to-day activities of someone who is what you want to be so I literally started making new friends and developing relationships with people who were self-employed or entrepreneurs so I could immerse myself in that mentality and in that paradigm so it took me a year But from the time that I set my goal to the time that I left my company, which unfortunately was two weeks before 9-11, but, you know, none of us knew that was coming, that I literally worked my process. I learned. I got mentored. I trained. I I got my business model mapped out. I started working with clients even though I was scared to the dickens, (laughs) whatever the right (laughs) phrase is. I was going to use profanity, but I realized for Uh, (laughs) Don't worry, I have the bleep button. That's fine. (laughs) But, you know, it was scary. And I think it often is for us when you're leaving a secure, cushy, very high-paying job for something that's unknown. But it was worth every single risk and every single fear and every single change that I made. What kind of mental games did you have to play with yourself or habits did you have that made that jump from corporate to full-time business owner, what made you actually do that? Because it is very, very scary. So what Mm -hmm. kind of like mental games did you have to play with yourself in order to actually make that move? Well, you know, I don't know if this is a mental game per se, but this is what was going on in my head. I knew that staying was feeling like I was dying. So it was more what can I do to get out of there than it was what do I need to do to be successful? And, and and that's the honest truth. Like it was so painful for me to stay there that it was less painful for me to take any chances and risks and big leaps in the entrepreneurial world. So it was almost like moving away from what I didn't want was the catalyst more than moving towards what I did want. But that being said, there was three really big things. One, I could see that I would have more control over my schedule. And at that time, that was huge 
because I didn't have control over what I was getting assigned to and the type of work that I could do because the company was changing so quickly that a lot of the things I was excited about kept getting moved back to our corporate offices in Chicago, and I didn't want to live there. So I knew that if I wanted to be fulfilled, I was going to have to make new choices. And the other thing was that I had this vision of financial freedom, being able to make more, having more control over my financial future. And that was huge for me because at the time, I didn't, and I felt very much constrained by career paths and career ladders and things that corporations were you know, imposing on me and whether or not I wanted to follow the path they laid out. So just in my head, what I had to think about was, what is it that I'm going to have that I don't have now that's going to make it worth me going through everything I have to go through? I wanted that freedom so much I could taste it. I wanted to make a difference so much that 9 o'clock at night, I was willing to keep working at my desk building this new thing when my friends were off playing and doing whatever. It became my passion and my driver and the thing that I, I was so compelled to do. And I think that's what got me to that place was I wanted it so bad because staying was painful. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I think that everyone who has left corporate, or many, many people, I'll speak for myself, leaving corporate for me was exactly like that. I didn't like it so much. And I really didn't know exactly what I was supposed to be doing on the other end. But I promised myself that for 30 days, I would ask myself the question, if I were to die next week, is this how I want to spend my time? And for 30 days, if my answer was no way, then I would quit at the end of that 30 days. And if there were some yeses in there, because I was, there were days when I was loving it, maybe I was just having ups and downs, then I would stay. And for 30 days straight, my answer was no way, get me out of here. <laughs> and I finally made that leap because for the exact same reason, it was just really painful. And I just knew that whatever was going to be built on that other end was worth it. So now you've made the jump into doing your own thing. What did that first year really look like for you? The first two years were a combination of chaos and complete exhilaration. I absolutely loved what I was doing, but to be honest with you, I didn't really know who I was as a coach because my big game plan was get four clients because I knew with four clients I could cover the expenses I had at the time I was married. But what I didn't know is as I made the leap into my own business, my husband was very uncomfortable and not supportive and he started freaking out and all of a sudden we ended up in a divorce because we were at odds. And so my wow. safety net disappeared. <laughs> wow. And so I was literally scraping by for the first two years trying to figure out the whole illusion of being married for the rest of your life that shatters and dealing with that emotional piece. But then there was, all right, I'm trying to figure out who I am as a coach and a mentor. And this is a heck of a lot harder to get clients. And the model I learned in coaching school, because I did go to two years of coach training because I felt I wanted to be able to serve my clients well, and I wanted to have a strong system to coach. And what I learned there was you charge a certain amount of money per month, and you give your clients a certain number of sessions, and the model was something like three sessions a month for somewhere between $350 and $500 a month. And that might sound great, but the model is a lot of work, and it's very challenging, and it requires a lot of work. And People who sell coaching have a much harder time than people who sell results. That was a huge lesson I got in the first two years was I was selling coaching and people don't buy a process to be coached. They buy the results they get from being mentored and coached and trained. And so for those two years, I struggled. Sometimes I was making barely $1,000 a month. And when this piece clicked in, there were three things that happened very quickly. One was... I had a complete mindset overhaul. I had a lot of fears and worries and doubts that had and limiting beliefs that were really clouding my vision. And I did something called recoding. It wasn't called that at the time. It's what I've now called it because there's a process I teach around it. But I literally had to recode my belief system and my mindset and my habits so that I could focus on doing the most impactful activities in my business. Because up to that point, I was procrastinating, I was holding back, and I wasn't doing the things that really needed to be done. And once I did that, I started to really focus on leverage. 
and leverage meaning that I finally got, okay, if I want to grow and I want to be able to make consistent income, I've got to figure out how to somehow repackage what I offer and I've got to figure out how to tap into other people's strengths so I can get a lot of this stuff that I don't know how to do done faster. And by putting leverage into place, it really freed me up to be able to get more done. And the third thing was I had to really start treating my business. I had to be thinking about growing my business like an entrepreneur instead of like a coach. Because the coach in me made very limiting decisions, not because coaches aren't powerful, but because I just looked at how do I want to help the next client as a coach? How do I want to help more people? But it wasn't until I shifted my mindset and I said, how do I, how can, how do I actually grow a business so I can help as many people as I possibly can that I started to see the potential and the vision and the way of designing my business to be scalable and have consistent predictable revenue. And that's when everything took off and I was able to make six figures in my first nine months, left behind the $1,000 a month dance and really start building and building and building. So we're going to dig into exactly what you did to really make that shift. But I want to use this as an opportunity for you to really give us a whole visual of exactly what your business model is. I mean, we're hearing coaching, but you're talking about scaling out your business. So can you walk us through exactly what components you have that are in your business, how your business generates revenues and all the different pieces of it? So my business today, by the way, it looks very different than it did when I started, but my business is a combination of few key things. One, I do have a service component to it where I'm engaged and contracted with to coach and mentor entrepreneurs who want guidance on how to grow their business. And a second component to what I do is I have a lot of training materials and tools that I've designed over the years that allow somebody to learn from me so they don't have to hire me directly, but they can still be coached by me through this more, what we might look at this more automated process. And all of that is delivered online. And then I have a third component where I have books and other tools and materials that are they're under $100 or some free that are educating people on the problems and the, the opportunities they get through my work. And, and everything I do is on optimizing the entrepreneur and business owner so they can make 10 times more, have 10 times more free time in their business by doing more of the things they love and doing more of the things that they're really good at. And this whole process, I learned to do online. There's a lot of people that like to do offline stuff, more live events, and they do workshops or travel around. You know, I do some of that, but I just, you know, I have to tell you, I love, I work out of my home. My office is two steps away from my bedroom. I have a, <laughs> I have my nice little layout here. I have a four-bedroom place, and I, you know, I have my, my office is all contained in this space that allows me to be very focused. I love that I can hang out with my dog all day, <laughs> go for walks and go hiking, and I have a lot of flexibility and freedom in, in my schedule because of the way I've designed my business and the way I work. And I happen to be someone... I love putting my lifestyle and my ability to travel and spend time you know, doing the things I'm passionate about. So that comes first, and then my business, it was designed to support that. So what did it really take for you to design this business from, I guess, end goal and back? Because mm -hmm. I think what you alluded to is that your focus as a coach was just get the next client, just get the next client. And I think yeah. that there are many of us, whether we're coaches or not, who are stuck in that, working service inside the business. business. owners. Yeah. yeah. Anybody who's in the service, it's like, how do I get the next client? How do I get the next sale? How do I get the next chunk of business and I totally agree. So literally, what did you do? What actions did you put in place? How did you construct your day in order to make sure that you were spending time building out these online programs and, and actually like starting to think about the scalability of your business? Well, and I and just for everybody to really understand that we're talking about 14 years of an unfolding and a process with mistakes and wins and this thing working and this thing not working. And so there's been a lot of refining along the way. But if I was going to start all over again, just trying to kind of piece together, the first thing that I really focused on is how do I create more predictable income without having to be tied to working in the business to make that income? That was the first huge chunk. And so what I did was I did a combination. I, the first thing I did quite literally is I raised my rates. And mind-blowingly enough, when I was charging 350 a month, 
I struggled to get clients. When I started to pull my rates up, even though nothing really was that different, I just put my rates up, all of a sudden I was experienced as more of an elite offering. And this is still at a point where there wasn't a lot of people who did what I did. And so by raising my rates, I could see less clients and have more time doing the same thing I was already doing. So it, it created more income with, with being able to work less. And what that did is that freed me up to create what is now referred to as a passive income product, which, by the way, there are no passive income products. <laughs> <laughs> My big learning was there was no passiveness around this, but it was a leveraged offering. And what I did was I focused on creating a, a system. How did I teach people how to achieve goals, stay authentic to what was important to them, and be able to really leap in their income and their impact? And so I created a product by taking a group of people through it, having the book. I literally paid someone to write the book for me by taking the transcripts from the class and pulling out the uh, language and crafting, kind of creating a, a book flow around it, and then giving audio programs with it to act like the coach in their ears so that they could feel like I was coaching them even though I wasn't necessarily right there with them. And, I use a lot of neurolinguistic programming, so I, I pre-recorded some of the uh, neurolinguistic programming type exercises I would do so someone could listen to them over and over and over again, and that became my first program. So what happened was I started selling that online, and that's where the birth of what's known as the online sales letter came from or the online sales pages because I wasn't always going to be in a place where I was speaking in person, and I needed a way for someone to come to my website and really understand what they would get in that tool if they saw me speak somewhere or they heard me when they needed more explanation. And literally a sales letter is the replacement of you having an enrollment or sales conversation with a potential client. That's all it is. It's just it's the same thing you would say to them if you were talking to them, explaining what it does, giving the benefits, helping them understand is it right for them and it's just written on a website instead of me having to meet with someone one-on-one. So again, it's more leverage. And that was what I started with to free me up. And then, because I had a product, I started getting invited to speak at more events. And back then, it was really popular to have live events where you would bring somebody who was an expert to come in and speak and, and add value to the host's event. And so I was getting asked to speak at some of the big names like Alexander Brown and James Malinchak and Adam Bansky and Christopher Howard back then. It was just like a whole bunch of people that had me come in and speak at their events to teach the thing that I was so good at, which is helping entrepreneurs get beyond the overwhelm that kept them stuck. So I hope I'm digging into enough detail. You got to tell me how yeah. you want me to go here. No, that's, <laughs> that's all really, really great because I think what I hear from that obviously is like you basically are taking what you're doing on an everyday basis with your clients, putting that into product. Thank you for sharing the fact that you, you know, had an event, somebody recorded it, somebody else wrote it based on the transcripts, because I think we get overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, I can't write that much. And that's too big of a project. So, I mean, you just really bring on the team that can actually create that for you. And then you create the sales letter to be able to sell the product. So how did you market? Like, how were you actually getting your name out there and making sure that people knew about this product in the first place? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and this is always the biggest thing for everybody, and, and this changes with time. What I do now is very different from what I did back then. But back then, it was live events, speaking at other people's live events. There were a lot of what's called membership programs now, but people call them inner circles, or they were building communities of people that were paying somewhere between 47 and $200 a month to be a part of this membership community. And the, the hosts of these were hungry for content. So they would ask me to please come talk to their people. And they would always let me offer some next steps or some additional resources. And that was a big part of it. I had so many people at one time calling me. They would hear me do these interviews. Or actually, a lot of times what would happen too is people would ask me to come just do a free call to their list or their free community. Mm -hmm. And people would like okay, you're talking about overwhelm. I'm so overwhelmed. They need you to help me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I literally had to cr start creating new coaching programs. And I was doing the six-figure 
what's called masterminds and coaching programs because I had so many people coming to me saying, I can't run my business this way anymore. I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm so unhappy. I'm working seven days a week. My business isn't performing well, or I can't get to the next level because of just can't work anymore. And so that burst a new offering, which was helping people really learn how to prioritize more effectively, how to structure their business and, and create really simple plans to achieve the revenue goals. And I spent a lot of time designing. I would do these strategy days where I would have my client come in, and I still do these, where I design their leverage plan. How are you going to get more done without doing it all yourself? Who are you going to hire to do what? How are you going to redesign your offerings? And how are you going to scale your prices or you know your your programs so or your offering whatever that is so that you can have a greater impact while working less and that's what ended up happening is it became very what we now call viral because one person would share it with another person and would share it with another person and next thing i know everybody who's working everybody who knows Susie Q was finding out Susie Q was working with me and they were like all coming to me going can you help me too so that was it was really crazy. It was about 60 to 70% viral. Wow. Doing a few key interviews just kicked off this fire that everybody wanted it. And then I had to figure out how to expand my offerings and scale my ability to coach and mentor and that's when I started hiring other coaches to step in and and take over for people who maybe couldn't make the investment to work directly with me, but they still wanted the teaching. So I had people who went through my programs who became mentors under my umbrella, and they would work with the clients and bring their own unique twist, but still mentor and coach on core offerings back then. You were really able to leverage your own time by having other coaches there. What else were you using internally within your business in order to leverage your time? Did you, I mean, did, were you bringing on actual like full-time team members or any virtual assistants mm -hmm. to help you with administration stuff? Were there certain tools or systems that you were using that really helped you stay focused on continuing to build out the business? What happened then was that I very quickly started to explode in my growth. And this is when we were getting up into the high six figures and starting to cross into seven. And we just had so many people coming into the programs. And then we were starting to do more and more what we might call partnership uh, things where we'd having people promote. And I had people I had a pretty big list at the time of people who were looking for solutions. So I had to expand my support. And at one point, I think I had like 13 people on my team, most of which were virtual contractors. I think I had three people who were full-time. And they were not employees. I've never been an employee person. And it's funny. People laugh when I say this, but I actually teach a program called How to Build Your Dream Team. And I was the most reluctant leader you could possibly ever meet because <laughs> I was freaked out by the idea of, of hiring and, and managing people and growing a team. It really, it was, it was stressful for me because I didn't feel like that was my greatest gift on this planet. I, I was very quickly the bottleneck in my growth. And everything I learned at each step of my own evolution and growth, awesomely enough, became what I could teach my clients. Because when I realized, oh, I'm the bottleneck, everything has to go through me, then I learned how to do that differently. And I could help other entrepreneurs through that shift. And so at, a t at one point, I had two coaches, and we were starting to train more uh, people, more coaches underneath our team. And I had a full-time assistant, a full-time what we call like an online marketing tech person. I had a part-time graphics person, part-time bookkeeper, the accountant. I had an online business manager who was taking over the running of the business and, and the day-to-day. -day. And then I had a marketing person that was in and out working on certain projects. So, and I think there's probably a couple other in there. I think we had a couple of techie people that we rotated in and out of it back then. But it was, a, it was a pretty big team. We had gotten to the point where we were really starting to systemize and move a lot of things that would become bumps. I think the key to having a system like that is three things. One, you have to have systems. And most people don't start with systems. So a lot of things break down and that causes you to feel frustrated and pained about working with your team. And that's just because you haven't properly approached everybody and trained everybody to do the things the way you want them done. The second thing that really was a big learning for me was to realize the difference between B 
being the creator, which is the entrepreneur, being a manager, which means you're in charge of managing all these people, projects, tasks, activities, which is very much burnout for me, and being a leader. And my greatest gift in, at that time in, in working with a team of that size was I realized how easy it was for me to get sucked into being a manager, and that's why I prioritized bringing someone in to manage and to take that off my plate so I could lead. Your job truly is to lead the business, whether you can afford a manager or a project manager or that kind of support right now or not. Each one of us has the ability to recognize that there are tools we can use, like project management systems and planning tools, that will free us up from the management and allow us to stay more in that leading energy or having the systems in place so you're not micromanaging people to get things done. You're literally, okay, this is the, this is the process to do X, Y, and Z, follow the process. So when the fo- process is being followed, you're managing people less and being able to lead and focus on the things that you love the most better. And that, it's, just, it's all about recognizing that shift when it's time to stop being in the weeds of the business and start being the leader of getting everybody inspired to use their strengths and their gifts to achieve a common outcome. Did you have a couple of hiccups, I'm sure, in the process of you learning that lesson? Oh, massive. <laughs> you know, I, because I was, you know, it's funny, and this is what I, I'm so passionate about working with entrepreneurs who are at this stage, because I was so reluctant to own this process, I'll just call it owning it. I I call it awakening as a leader. I blew it regularly. (laughs) I was very results driven. Like I'm sure no one else can relate to this, right? But I was so results driven. I didn't understand the value. By the way, if if you're doing a good job as a leader and you are focusing on results, your team is doing the opposite, which is there being the glue and the support system and the detail-oriented energy required to keep things moving forward. So when you're in your results energy and they're in the opposite energy of like being supportive and making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, you're going to be at odds. So I'm like, let's move faster. Let's get more done. Let's come on, people. And I did not always recognize how important it was to slow down and be really present to honoring what they needed to do a good job for themselves. And every leader I've ever worked with is in that same boat. We think we have to move faster where our team is, but I need more detail, I need more information, I need more time. And so part of the leader's job is to really understand that delicate balance between results and the bandwidth necessary to achieve really solid, sustainable traction when they're, when your team is implementing. So I, I alienated people. I grew too fast. You know, I had a huge meltdown a few years back when we hit the height of our banking problem here in the U.S. When the credit cards froze, I did not have my systems documented well enough in this one area because it had gone like clockwork for so long. It never dawned on me that we were missing a check and balance system. And I had an entire three months of receivables that never cleared with a really significant portion of our client base. And so I had something like $25,000 in uncollectible receivables. And all of a sudden, it just created this huge downward spiral and you know, like my team blew up and everybody got mad and, you know, everybody started pointing fingers and I had to fire people for the first time and I felt awful and I had someone who was developing more into a partner role and we were at odds and I learned so many lessons and I it was one of the most painful periods of my entire life around business, but it was also really great because it made me a better leader It made me a better mentor and coach, and it also really helped me understand more and more what the entire life cycle, you know, a sale is, because we didn't understand that there there was a part of that process that was really susceptible to doing ongoing credit card billings. And when those credit cards froze and we couldn't clear those credit card transactions, we had a hole in our system. What was your solution for that? Like, what was that checks and balances system that you could end up plugging into there? What we missed was the bookkeeper and the program manager, because I have somebody who manages the, the programs themselves, 
and make sure that everyone in that program, that their payment is cleared. And if not, we were missing an escalation that made sense. Now, part of it was the person that was in that role. I had found out she was going through some challenges in her own life. She was pregnant and having a difficult pregnancy, and so she was dropping a lot of balls. And there were some things she just was not on top of because she she had on her on her system to double-check that, but she wasn't. The, balance, the, the check and balance that was missing was the bookkeeper and that person talking to reconcile. Got it. And the bookkeeper understanding what should be clearing against the program manager <laughs> knowing what should be clearing. And me having a monthly and or bi-weekly meeting with the bookkeeper for that check and balance. Because so all of a sudden, three months later, you're finally kind of getting the numbers in front of you going, yep. holy cow, what's going on here? Yeah, well, all of a sudden, when I realized my cash flow was much lower than it should have been, the, the, the brain went, what? Wow. <laughs> and I realized, you know, every, every entrepreneur has not been trained to know how to manage cash flow. And so that was a great lesson, but it was a painful one because we never recovered about probably a good third of that, those missing receivables. Wow. So that obviously changed the entire direction of your business. What did you do at that really low moment? Because you were, I mean, there's so many emotions going on. Like, obviously, like the business system itself is not working. Now I have to let people go. The business itself is not sustaining itself. What's going on with the clients? But you still have to perform as a coach and with all these things. And then I'm sure like beating yourself up. Like, why didn't I get this? What's going on? Like, where were you in that lowest moment? And what actions did you really take to get out of it? Well, you know, as I mentioned, this was probably one of the lowest points of my whole business evolution. It was pretty scary when, when I was at $1,000 a month and looking at doing I go back and get a job. That was a scary time, but this was a low time. And I felt really like I had failed on so many levels. So the first thing was, is I literally, I had to regroup. And part of what I learned in this period was that uh, even though I truly believe I've always been a pretty authentic person, I think I'd really gotten caught up in an ego-driven success. And here I was, a pretty young person who was making more money than anyone in her family had ever made. Ever, 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 ever made. And I, you know, my life was pretty easy and pretty good, and I, I didn't have to think a lot about what I spent money on. And you know, I was traveling at the time a lot, and I really felt like I had made it. But I realized, looking back, that I didn't have the stability of three important things. One, I didn't have the stability of a team that I needed because my team, even though they were lovely and they were so valuable and there were so many wonderful things that came out of that team, I did not have the proper agreements and contracts and there was a lot of neediness going on. Like I needed them and they needed me. And, and so it wasn't really a, a strong foundation for building the team. It was built out of a place of like, oh my God, if they leave me, I'm screwed. Right? Right, like, right. There was fear around it. And secondly, I didn't have enough clarity about the ebbs and flows of my cash flow. And this was a huge awakening, and I realized it was born from a place of my fears and my doubts about my beliefs. These were like childhood fears. We all have them. You know, we have limiting beliefs we grew up with. And my, what I call my money DNA was not, was not really rooted in success. It was rooted in fear. And so a lot of what had happened was just the sheer nature of the, the industry and the tidal wave that was moving at the time. I rode that tidal wave. But I was missing some real strong foundations that would allow my business to grow despite what was going on around me. And that was the third thing that was missing is I didn't have a strong enough what we might call branding position. My branding was built on other people creating overwhelm in what they taught and that I came to the rescue. And the dance with my partners at the time filled my business because they needed me to make their clients better at what they did so they could implement the marketing strategies they taught. And once coaching changed and they started doing mentoring programs, they didn't need me. So I was vulnerable at the time to three lead sources, basically. And I didn't realize that till I was in the middle of the mess that I had really been out of balance in the way I built my business. So you know, what I did was is I really went back to the basics and I rebranded my business and regrouped around 
who am I? What am I passionate about? What, what makes me feel alive? What's my genius? What is it that people come to me that make, you know, that's unique about me? And I redesigned my business model so that it had the most leverage possible with the least amount of stress. I really became a huge advocate of effortless success. If it doesn't feel effortless, then I'm probably going in a direction that's not good for me. And that doesn't mean there isn't effort involved. It means it feels effortless to me as I move it out in the world. I got really good at designing highly leveraged programs, which means I have content that is on autopilot and I come in or you know, when I bring coaches in or other mentors to teach, that someone comes in in a very leveraged fashion so that you don't have to do step-by-step-by-step with with clients. And what did it freed me up dramatically, helped me rebuild my business quickly. Again, it repositioned me as an expert in the industry again and allowed me to get back into a place where there was what I call ease, grace, and effortlessness and growing. After all these years of you really evolving as a businesswoman, what are maybe one or two of the things that you're most proud that you've really accomplished or who you've become? That's a good question. So the first thing that jumped into my mind was in the field that I'm in, which is mentoring and and coaching and designing training programs and having an online, sometimes some people might call more of a celebrity presence. Uh, One of the things I'm really proud of is that I stay really authentic and true. (laughs) And that's not always the case in these type of business models. So my clients come to me because they they know that I'm going to be really honest and transparent about what it takes to build a business and even my own journey. Like I don't make up a bunch of stories just to sound better than I am. And I pride myself in that because it's really easy to get caught up in our ego and to like be in a really different place with this. Part of it is like, even though this is a long time ago, like I was really proud that I broke six figures. And that I've stayed above six figures every year since. Now, I haven't always stayed in the million-dollar mark, but the fact that I stayed above six figures even when (laughs) shit hit the fan and things were completely upside down, I was really proud about that. What that says is is that when you have some basic stuff in place around leverage, you can stay at a pretty high level and you can continue to build, whereas a lot of people might fail and, and fall apart. And I think the third thing is, I'm very proud of my lifestyle. It's not like important for me to be traveling on Learjets and renting yachts. That's not what it's about. I have a lifestyle where I pretty much can work as much as I want and still make a really good living. I am surrounded with some of the most amazingly transformational people in this work and in these careers and, and in the world. And you know, these are my friends that I can pick up the phone and call and that's because of me choosing to live a certain way and to be a certain kind of person that I have those relationships. To me, relationships are the currency of authenticity. Oh, and, I love that. Yeah, and the relationships you attract to yourself are the measure of your authenticity and who you're being on this planet. And I'm very, I'm very proud of the people that I can call my friends and that that you know we we support each other and we create an impact together that none of us could do on our own Mm, I really love that Melanie what do you have coming up that you're really excited about and let everyone know where they can go find you sure so I'm really excited we're getting ready to release a new and improved version of money DNA and that's coming in the fall and so whether you're listening to this now or in the near future you can find out about that at www.money dash dna.com forward slash webinar and uh, there's a free training that you can check out there that'll tell you a little bit about recoding your money dna and what that does for you and why it's important for a business owner of any kind to to be able to up level their internal success program and share with you a little bit about the program when it's appropriate and i'm also Gosh, I even I get a little scared even just saying it, but I'm I'm writing a book on Woo-hoo! my journey of awakening <laughs> as a leader because it was it was a really, really profound process 
And I know what it's like as an entrepreneur to really resist and almost resent having to step up in that way. And But yet I know what, on the other end of it, what it's meant to my business and, and the impact I've been able to make on this planet and the income it, it means to, you know, our bottom line when we step into leadership. So it's been an interesting book to write because I seem to find a lot of other things that get my get my time and attention. And I know that that resistance is just because... You know, it's a really, really personal journey, but I am committed to getting it finished over the next couple months. Well, Melanie, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your story and being so genuine and authentic and realistic about what has happened throughout all of these years, how you've evolved. And thank you so much for just all of the great information that I know every single person listening to this could really take and use in their business. So I just really appreciate you and thank you so much for being here. Go ahead and get all the show notes at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 72. That interview is chock full of content, I gotta say. So many great takeaways, but the one I will share that really impacted me was just how great she was at taking her own experiences and her own expertise and turning that into product that could be automated. I hope you got a lot out of this today and I hope you take action on everything that you got. Have a great one and I'll see you on the next episode. P.S. It is July in Florida and my AC is not working right now. I am melting. Throughout this entire conversation with Melanie, I was sweating bullets. Not because I was nervous, but because I was hot. Holy cow.